I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kaitel, and joining me here in LA as ever from back in our hometown of London is my co-host, Joe. We do, as usual, also have a special guest for today's show. We're both very excited to have with us. Today's guest, who also lives stateside like myself, is a fellow podcaster. He's the host of Low Limit Football and Gorani Vision, where he focuses on one of his main passions, Paraguayan football. Our guest also works in the world of football media as a production assistant for NBC Sports and Telemundo Sports coverage of the English Premier League. We welcome Roberto Rojas to the United Mates Football Podcast. Roberto, it's a pleasure to have you with us. How's it going, mate? Ah, thank you so much for having me. It was a really good introduction. Yeah, I'm super excited to come on. I mean, you know, for all the drama that's going on in the international break, uh, it's always nice to just kind of go out and just talk about things that are going on in the world. So yeah, I'm really excited about this chat and I cannot wait to see what you guys can get straight at me. Take, take whatever questions you want. We're really looking forward to it as, as well, Roberto. Paraguayan football in particular is especially nothing that we've really been able to kind of showcase on the show until now. So that's exciting for both of us. And you mentioned, speaking of kind of excitement and things going on in, in the world, Joe, as we record, we experienced yesterday, I think probably the most excitement of the entire international break so far. <laughs> and that was when um, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock across the face at the Oscars. Uh, Joe, do you think that incident would have uh, needed a VAR review or, or do you think it was an obvious red card for, for foul play? Yeah, I think if, as a standalone incident, it's prob- probably a straight red. Um, obviously, <laughs> there is context there. But yeah, just if you see that clip, I think there's there's no doubt you're... Um, you're, you're getting that red card out but yeah god what a moment I mean yeah who, who'd have thought that we'd be talking about that but here we are but um um Roberto as you know Kai was saying earlier we're really um really excited to have you on the podcast and then whenever we have a guest on our podcast we always um start with an icebreaker question um it's normally a bit silly and this one is definitely very silly but um so Roberto we know that you obviously work in football but we've delved into a fictional football character as well and this guy is your namesake he is Danny Rojas from the program Ted Lasso he's actually um he's of Mexican origin I know obviously you're para- you've got more Paraguayan roots but his um his catchphrase in the show Ted Lasso is football is life so um our icebreaker today for you is to complete the sentence with a word of your choice so football is Whatever. We'll give you time to think, um, Roberto. But Kai, um, how about you kick us off? What's what's your Danny Rojas phrase? So my my Danny Rojas phrase is that football is family. And I would say that because it can be kind of a dysfunctional love-hate relationship sometimes that brings out the best and the worst in us. But it can also bring us together like it has right now with the three of us. Lovely. Got it. 
<laughs> that's very yeah very nice nice way of thinking about it i think i'm i'm gonna just go with football is insane because i feel like i mean there are a lot of things that are insane at the moment but in the last 12 18 months i guess yeah it's mirroring general life but god football's in a it's in a funny old place at the moment um you kind of you don't really know where it's going to go next but look we all still love it don't we we all love football but i'd i'd go with football is insane roberto you've had a little bit of time to think um what, what what's your danny rojas phrase going to be well i'm gonna go a bit more simple in this case and say football is fun i mean i i think most of us who do this doesn't matter if we work in football be it in a big media company like nbc sports doing podcast or or just tweeting it on social media i think the whole point of this is to understand that this is the sport that we've grown up liking and you know one or the other even if we have differences of you know that we support a team that maybe I dislike or we have differences in players that are better than the other you know in the end this is all just because we enjoy it we're passionate about it and so for me and I've always had that kind of rooted in me is that it's supposed to be fun and if it wasn't fun then there was no point in doing any of this so that, that's my Danny Rojas uh, um, quote uh, for this podcast. You know you mentioned supporting for instance rival teams not being necessarily a thing that has to get in the way Joe and I are proof of that as Arsenal and uh, Tottenham fans uh, between the two of us uh, likewise you know football being fun at the end of the day I think you can't really simplify it much better moving on and again referencing you, you talked about growing up what uh, kind of enjoying enjoying the sport and so when when we do get guests on another thing we like to do is figure out essentially what their football origin story is, so to speak, how they <clears throat> became interested in football in the first place, what those kind of early memories of either watching or playing or supporting the game uh, were that really kind of formed the bedrock of their love for the beautiful game. So what is your football origin story, Roberta? Well, I think, you know, I always like to, to like telling these stories, you know, depending on the podcast that I go to, some of them always do ask this question. So it's always great for me to always understand that you know it, it might be a different answer the way I presented but ultimately the idea is, th is the same so obviously like you had mentioned in the beginning I'm a Paraguayan descent um, obviously I was born and raised here in the United States I grew up here in, in Connecticut all my life and you know I like any other kid of immigrants especially those that come from a country where soccer football is so passionate it's it's it goes into you when you're born you know um, obviously I grew up playing it and you know I grew up playing other sports like like a kid, like any kid, like growing up in the 2000s and, and whatnot, you know, playing basketball, baseball, football, American football. Um, obviously here we, we have big uh, passion for hockey and lacrosse being it's the Northeast and they have to, they tend to be very popular over there. But for me, football has always been the, the main sport that I've always enjoyed. You know, I've always remember kicking a ball around, be it in my backyard or going to like this little Sunday league thing that the Paraguayans do in New York. Um, hanging out with my friends and you know I, I played you know I, I was able, I was not really a particularly a good one <laughs> I was always been my dream was to be a, a professional player and who knows play Paraguay MLS Europe whatever it may be um, unfortunately that wasn't the case so I had to go into a different route and so for me I've always grown up enjoying just being involved in soccer I mean I've always enjoyed like the behind the scenes kind of thing I mean I've always been someone that's always wanted to I'm always a talker. I always like to be very much in the spotlight. I always like to be involved in those kind of things. And for me, I've always also enjoyed watching it on TV, watching the personalities, you know, trying to understand that, you know, one of these days, 
maybe back then I would have had that dream of, you know, being played in a stadium full of thousands of people where millions of your friends or, you know, millions of people or a lot of your friends are watching this. So that was always been the dream, but I've always wanted to be in there. I always wanted to be on camera and on TV. And yeah, I mean, you know, eventually that just settled right by the time I was about to graduate high school. I, um, I figured that, you know, if I wasn't good enough to be a player, I needed to do something. And I guess just being involved in media was something that just came to me. So, you know, I started working for different types of blogs growing up um, when I went to college and, you know, trying to get my name in the door, really. And obviously doing that podcast, like you'd mentioned, the Lola in the Football, that's been done with my co-host Joe Ucello for about eight years now. It's going to be eight years. It's hard to believe. But um, so it, it just, it went from there. And, you know, I started trying to gain my self-attention. I start doing these podcasts and interviewing people in the soccer media, trying to get my name done. I'm like 17, 18 years old at the time. I'm 24 now. So I've been doing this for quite some time. And it, it doesn't feel as if though time has flown by so fast. It almost feels like everything that I've done has been done yesterday. Like right in front of me, I have all the credentials of, of numerous uh, soccer events that have been around the world in Europe, South America, North America. Um, you know, that just, it was something that I've enjoyed doing and I've had fun for it. Yes, it wasn't easy. I mean, there were times of really adversity hitting me, thinking to myself, you know, am I ever going to get something? Am I ever going to feel like I'm worthy enough to work at a big company? Um, and so it, it just went from there. And, you know, thankfully, but before I was about to graduate college, um, I ended up doing a a uh, bachelor's and master's degree in communication and media arts. So that two titles for me are, I guess you could say, shows that I'm a professional of some sense, at least from a from an educational standpoint. But uh, no, and then I started working for BN Sports. I started working there as a digital content producer. We were just working online, uh, especially during the pandemic when when it started. You know, just working at home and just trying to get my name out of the door. And now I'm at NBC. You know, just literally weeks after I graduated. And getting my master's degree working for perhaps you know I don't want to obviously sell myself and and cast my my company to the extent but no I think we're doing the best coverage of of soccer anywhere in this country on tv covering the best league in the world I would say so yeah it's been quite a great journey for me and you know the fact that I've done so much and yet I feel like I can do a lot more at in these upcoming years I'm, I'm just grateful for the position that I'm in and and hopefully that it continues for, for quite some time. And it just is a demonstration and the result of, of the passion that I've always had for the sport. No, I mean, the way you're talking about it, you can tell the, the passion you have for the sport. And actually at a relatively young age, you've already um, built up quite quite a bit of exciting experience, both, you know, from a production point of view now, but also you've been podcasting, you, you've, you know, been on the kind of more the writing side of things as well but let's um let's talk a bit about what you're doing at the moment so at NBC and Telemundo I mean I imagine working in the sort of production department you're you're a busy guy and there's a lot happening but what's what's the most exciting part about your day when you're working at NBC or Telemundo is there anything in particular that you particularly enjoy about your current job? Well, I think what I've enjoyed working there has been just the people that you're working. I think obviously, you know, a job is always good. This is in my, in my book personally. It's like, you know, any job in the world, doesn't matter how boring or exciting it, it can be, you know, as long as you have like coworkers that are willing to feel the same way as you do, then it makes it much more enjoyable. And I'm thankful enough to work at a company where a lot of people enjoy this sport. I think they really put in their effort and their energy towards it, you know. The fact that 
you know, we can be watching a game with an Arsenal Tottenham and we could talk about how Arsenal are looking good because, you know, maybe they didn't qualify for Europe, but the fact that they have such young players under Arteta that that might help them in the future or how's Tottenham going to play under Antonio Conte, you know, switching formations and getting these new players in from loan. So it's just those kind of little tidbits and it doesn't matter what game happens. It could be a, an Arsenal Tottenham, a United, Manchester United, Man City or, or a Norwich Burnley. There's always something to talk about. And I feel like that's something where I feel like even for myself, you know, I've been able to do a lot of things there, working in production, being someone that works, you know, with the talent, with, you know, people like Rebecca Lowe, Robbie Musto, Bobby Earl, Tim Howard, those that you've been used to seeing uh, on TV for so many years, you know, the fact that I'm able to work with them directly, it feels like, you know, one day you're just seeing them on TV and the next day you're right there um, in close proximity. So for me, I think the most exciting thing is that I'm able to contribute to a, a to coverage that is really something that you have to feel proud of. And, and it's a huge responsibility as well. I think when you've been at such a high standard for quite some time and you know I think everyone can say everyone has their opinions and whatnot but like you can't you can't disregard the fact that we've done so much to help grow the sport of soccer in this country at least over the last decade or so um it's it comes with huge responsibility and that goes to anyone you can go from the producer to the director to even the 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 production assistant that started uh just yesterday or something so I think for me it's it's the it's the challenge and just the unpredictability that can happen that really makes me enjoy it. But overall, I think the coworkers as well who enjoy the sport as well have always been such a, a pleasure to work with and have also made the job very enjoyable. Like you said earlier, Roberto, football is fun. And that obviously helps when, you know, you're working with people that share your passion for the game and, you know, you're working like you said, for a great company like NBC with some pretty cool talents. I know that that makes complete sense. Um, I guess I have one more other question for you in terms of kind of what you're doing there at the moment. I mean, you've obviously done your podcasting, you've done your writing, you've done production work now. I mean, do you ultimately have a goal of perhaps ending up in front of the camera one day at NBC? Is that something for you that's a, a, a name of yours? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been able to do a lot of this stuff behind the scenes. I don't see why I couldn't be able to do something in front of the camera. You know, the fact that I've done, you know, numerous interviews like this one right here or, or be it like in any other media outlet in the world. I feel like for myself, I feel confident in my skills. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a different world. You know, it's different from them when you're working behind the scenes and telling talent what to do than now being asked what to do. Uh, so it, it's a different world. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see why it's not a pro an issue. I mean, there's so many, I think, people out there that want to be on camera. You know, you have people that are content creators, be it those on YouTube or Twitch or, or TikTok or any of those kind of mediums that are just trying to make themselves notable, make themselves relevant. And I think for me in the position that I'm in, I don't, I don't see why it wouldn't be a, an issue for that. But uh, slowly but surely, hopefully that, that dream can come. I say dream, but more of a goal that can come in the in the next few years i mean they've already got the two robbies you know over they the, need a third one yeah they might as well need a third rob the three robbies there you go, there you go. or the three robertos if they want to play ball that way um exactly. but uh moving on we're gonna actually jump into a, a game uh, it's one that we've played uh actually i think kind of recently on the podcast that was for the first time in the while otherwise it's been a mainstay that we've um stuck with throughout our 100 plus episodes it's called who are you 
And the kind of aim of the game is going to be guessing a mystery player based off of a very, very kind of measly uh, clue that I'll give you to begin with. But you guys can both, between the two of you, ask as many questions as you'd like. Um, for today's mystery players, the links are going to be kind of Paraguay-related um, to have a common theme. Otherwise, let's see. This first player scored... So this, this first player is not Paraguayan, but he scored against Paraguay at the 2006 World Cup. And he's a bit of a Premier League legend himself. So have at it with as many questions as you'd like, guys. Okay. I think I know right. this one. I think I know this one. Let's see if Joe knows it first. Oh, no, Roberto, you go for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work out your Paraguay. Yeah. Group, no, so. no, no. And I, I remember this one. Um, it was the 2006 World Cup, uh, the game against Sweden. Uh, I believe it was the second group stage match. Yeah, that just shows how good my memory is. Uh, and I love the, con the connection to the Premier League, given that it's from a team that you support who has been uh, so influential. It's uh, the Swedish player, Freddie Jungberg. It is indeed Freddie Jungberg, also a former Impressive. model, as well as a former footballer. <laughs> Um, great, great answer. Uh, you're one up in uh, this kind of who are you battle between Joe and yourself. We've got a couple more of these. Um, this second player didn't gain Paraguayan citizenship until he was 25, mm. but he's still playing in his original country of birth, now aged 37. Right. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, that's a good one. Does, is he from another, is he playing in another South American? Country. yes he is okay okay in argentina yep okay that's getting somewhere <laughs> 37 years old he's played in a major european league at one point and he actually won that league possibly twice is la liga we talking no we're not is it the oh. Bundesliga? <laughs> yeah, you, you're onto something, Roberto. I think I am. I think I am. Um, <laughs> unless you got something, Joe, do you mind me asking? No, you know, <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm struggling. No, no. The Bundesliga. It sounds yeah. like I, I probably will. Yeah, I, You'll I be aware of him, Joe. I, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Used, to, used to be coached by uh, Jurgen Klopp at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Lucas oh. Barrios, the striker. It is indeed Lucas Barrios, who I, yeah. I always was, was pretty good. And it was a bit surprising to sort of see the route that the rest of his career took um, after that point, because it, it seemed like he might have had maybe another bigger move in him. I think he kind of went to, to China um, directly from, uh, from Germany. And yeah, sometimes that can kind of slow down your momentum. But we've got one more of these. Um, maybe Roberto's going to get all three, if, unless Joe can stop him. Um, we'll see. We'll see. This one's uh, an interesting one. This player suffered one of the most bizarre off-field injuries that you could ever imagine, um, and managed to recover from it. Again, probably even more surprising than the actual injury himself to have a technically end to his career, but he was never the same after that. God. So if it's a if it's a terrible injury off the field injury, yeah, not not a football related injury. Does he? Um, did he ever play in the Premier League? This guy. 
he, I believe, only played in South America. Only South America. God. God. This is tricky. Um, I'm getting stumped by this. Hang on. He's a striker? Yep. Okay. Did he play in Mexico? He did play in Mexico. Oh, I think you're onto something. I I think. think Two different Uh, clubs. I think it, you've yeah. got to go for it, Roberto. Yeah, I, 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 I know, I know this one. Yeah, as soon as I heard, as soon as I heard striker, I'm like, no, I know this is uh, Salvador Cabanas. It is Salvador Cabanas, who famously was shot in the head in in a nightclub. Um, oh, I think right this was the, like, right, right before the 2010 World Cup. Yeah, just before he he claims that the incident was instigated because of that, uh, that they didn't want him to go to the World Cup because then Paraguay would have won. Yeah, no, there was actually another story to that, actually. Um, he was even linked to go to Manchester United, actually, after that, that World oh, wow. Cup. And because of that injury, they had to look at some other player from Mexico. Ah, well, that's fate right there, I guess. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And in a very, very roundabout way, the city where I live, Los Angeles, has kind of um, kind of yeah, fallen into that as well, where Chicharito now plays. Um, but uh, well done, Roberto. That's uh, a clean sweep. You got all three of those, and pretty quickly as as well, which leaves us plenty of time to chat a bunch more about Paraguayan football, huh, Joe? Yep, indeed, indeed. Yeah, I mean, ugh, quite gutted about that. I was I was stumped, but you know, we move on, we move on, and we're going to talk first about um, the national team, the national Paraguayan team. And I know, Roberto, it's not it's not the best time to be a supporter of the Paraguayan national side, given with World Cup qualifying, it's not been going so well. I know, actually. In their last game at the time of recording, they actually beat Ecuador. So that was something. But um, just for our listeners who might not, you know, might be not too clued up on the Paraguayan national side at the moment, why is this um, World Cup qualifying campaign not gone to plan? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been quite of a, a frustrating campaign. Paraguay missing out on a third straight World Cup. This is with a team that prior to uh, Brazil 2014, the first of the three that they missed out. This is a team that made it to four straight, you know, from France 98 to South Africa 2010. So it's a, it's a bitter taste, I think, for not just for myself, who obviously grew up watching that Paraguay team at numerous World Cups, but for a lot of Paraguayan fans. So, yeah, I, I think this campaign has just been a, it's such a weird one because I recall those three. And, you know, the first one was uh, when this was right after they had made it to the quarterfinals of the World Cup and they actually finished runners up in the Copa America the following year. Uh, despite not winning a single game, they ended up going uh, as one of the best third place teams and then winning the penalty shootouts in the quarterfinals and the semifinals to then go to the final and lose to Uruguay. So, yeah, it's it's been weird, really, to, to see this Paraguay side that I think has just been too hampered by the past. And I think the ideas of maybe the FA and those that are involved in the sport has just been very much mediocre in the way that they're handling, I think. We do have some players that are playing, you know, across Europe. Obviously, the big one in Miguel Miron who's playing in at Newcastle United, but you have other players that are playing across in, in, in Italy. You got some as well in in uh, in Brazil and, and across uh, North America in MLS and Mexico. But yeah, I think it's just been the inconsistency in trying to find an idea, like what is working, where are we finding the the future talent. I mean, this is also. I think for me, a more important factor is, you know, the youth 
the national teams, you know, the U-20s and the U-17s, they haven't really been competitive as much. Yes, the U-17s have made it to World Cups, but it's more of the U-20 sides and the, that, that generation of players that we're seeing now was the build of a, of a team that went to the U-20 World Cup in 2013. So, you know, you have that generation of players and we haven't been back since. So it's, um, it, it's frustrating to see, I think, how a Paraguay side has been very much mediocre, I would say, during this entire process. But I think you also have to look at the other teams in South America. I mean, you're looking at a Peru side that, you know, at the time of recording could indeed make it to their second straight World Cup uh, if they qualify. And this was a Peru side that made it to a World Cup for the first time in 36 years. Now they're going back uh, to a second straight one. You have a Colombia side that might be missing out despite them making it to the last two World Cups and been so competitive in South America, Chile. You know, they were they could miss out. They, they were Copa America champions and they've had a, a good run over the last decade or so. And, you know, I, I think just the field of play has just been so competitive in South America that it's open for anyone. You know, there are no surprises. I think people in Paraguay perhaps are underestimating that a little bit that you aren't getting those kind of like minnows and, and underdogs anymore. It's almost as if, you know, and, and in South America, people always like to say that is the the toughest qualifiers in the world and, and rightly so i mean it's, it's open for anyone there's still that level of unpredictability that can happen but i think ultimately looking at it from a from a really short perspective of this whole thing i think it's just a lack of of an idea that is able to trust its youth there uh no formal plan i've gone through i think like eight managers ever since 2000 12 or something along those lines so yeah there's no consistency no plan and and yeah so i think that's kind of been the my long answer to this to this simple question but i think it's just the case of like so many things going on behind the scenes that nothing has been going on and working that allows them to see results on the pitch is there a name maybe from within paraguayan football or from within maybe a, a time of positive uh a positive time in the past of, of paraguayan football who might be able to emerge and kind of grab a hold of the national team's future or at least from kind of a background structural perspective um to give them a bit more prosperity moving forward yeah that, that's the t- that's the that's the million dollar question like who can come to save this team um I mean, the, the, there's been so many names going along. So the FA president, Robert Harrison, who was in charge of the, of the FA over the last two campaigns for the World Cup and obviously didn't make it, make, uh, didn't qualify for it, he's going to step down at the end of the year. So that means there's going to be elections. And there are many names that maybe will be toted to go for that FA position to be the president. I mean, you have some out there that perhaps are already doing well domestically. Um, I mean, there's also been... The name of the former this, this used to be the former president of club libertad which was one of the toughest better teams and in paraguay uh, have been so competitive but also he used to be a director of the national team and uh his, his i guess his his big claim to fame was that he was the president of the country itself horacio cartes so yeah funny how things work that way so He's been a name that I think many people are perhaps looking to see to save this side if you want to go into quotations. But, um, you know, it's it's funny that we talk right now, you know, just 24 hours removed from about 24 hours removed from the game in CONCACAF where Mexico just barely defeated Honduras uh, in qualification. 
the manager of that Mexico side is Tata Martino, you know, obviously former Argentina coach, former Barcelona coach, uh, used to also coach Atlanta United when uh, MLS was when, at MLS. And he also coached that Paraguay side that made it to the World Cup and had their best showing. So perhaps there is a sign of him coming back, depending on what happens in Mexico. I mean, you know, let's see, first if they make the World Cup, you know, we don't know if that's going to happen. But I think ultimately, I think his time will be, will be done unless Mexico win the World Cup or something. But I think um, keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on that and see if if perhaps, you know, Tata does return to Paraguay and, and returns in a way that perhaps can present ideas in a new look Paraguay FA to help them really go for the for the World Cups in, in 2026 and, you know, Copa America before that. Um, you know, they still have a manager right now in Guillermo Barroscalotto, the former Boca and LA Galaxy manager. So we have to see if his future is still intact with the new FA president. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, guys, I I can't really give you an honest answer as to like who can save this team, but um, I think there are some potential names that can indeed be an influence uh, for the future of this team. Hopefully, because I think within all of our lifetimes, uh, Paraguay have always been a pretty entertaining team when they have been able to make it to to the World Cups. Um, Speaking of a player that you mentioned in particular earlier, Miguel Almiron, in in 2019, not too long ago, that's when Newcastle United snapped him up for what was then a club record fee, obviously before the Saudi Arabian money, um, (laughs) from uh, Atlanta United. They spent around $27 million, supposedly, uh, which is still actually a record fee paid um, for an MLS player. Um, so this was kind of seen at the time as the signing from the MLS to a major European league that would in turn prove kind of the quality of the players that have been playing in the MLS of recent years. You know, long has kind of the MLS been from the outside perspective kind of criticized and seen as a retirement league, whatever you want to call it. But Almiron's performances were always going to kind of make or break that answer. And so far, I'd say it probably hasn't worked out exactly as Miguel Amaron would have wanted in the Northeast and probably hasn't worked out exactly how kind of fans of the MLS and Paraguayan fans might've liked either. Is that on the managers that he's played under Benitez, Bruce and, and how, or is Miguel Almiron the common denominator when it comes to this? Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is always going to be a debate for when he does eventually leave the club as to like what his legacy was, because, you know, this was a player that, was initially Rafa Benitez's player. You know, he came in, he was the one that put in the the effort in telling uh, Mike Ashley and those that work at the, at the club to sign this player because he thought that he had the talent. And um, yeah, it was always going to be a risk. And I think he was the one that wanted to take that risk of being a, a high-level MLS player. And, you know, we've had MLS players um, who were, were bred in that system who went to Europe. I mean, the, the, another big one that, I'm talking about is like Alfonso Davies, you know, he went from Vancouver Whitecaps to Bayern Munich and now he's one of the best left backs in the world. Maybe the best if you really wanted to go at it. But in any case, I think for Almiron, the the question marks were already going to be there. It's like, is the talent that he produced in MLS, will that really produce uh, similar of similar quality in, in the Premier League? And, you know, after over a hundred games and, and whatnot, yes, it obviously has not been as impressive now looking at hindsight and obviously looking at other players that, the club has brought in and who have performed in better aspects. So 
Yeah, it's so weird, really. He's such a, it's such a weird player. I had such high hopes for him as like a lot of Perry Wines did because, you know, obviously this is a player that is considered the best one right now or at least the most talented one playing in the best league in the world. Okay, it's not the best team, but it's still a big club in Newcastle United. So, um, honestly, I, I think there is something there. I think they still have some talent. I mean you still see a player that was playing in multiple positions. I mean, this was someone that was playing wing back, center attacking mid, left winger, right winger, striker. So he's been so overused in so many different positions. And yes, while he wasn't able to show his best under Steve Bruce, because obviously that's when he was, I guess, the, that was the majority of the time where he got his goals and whatnot. And now he's with Eddie Howe. And, you know, he's not demonstrated anything that makes him a starting player at Newcastle United, especially if they can get more players in. But yeah, I, I just think that he just didn't have the the chance to really perform consistently in a position that he's always been good at. I've always said it over the years that his position has always been as a number 10 or as a, as a winger, the left winger, because, you know, that's where he's able to cut in or he's able to make those passes or, you know, he doesn't have a good eye for goal. And, you know, oh, he scored over the, in the Ecuador game a couple of days ago, but ultimately he's always been a provider and we know that, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really weird to think about it now in hindsight, because I think the intensity of the Premier League is so different as to MLS. He's a fast player. We've seen it. He's not exactly the strongest one, but you could see him putting his work effort, but ultimately I think it's also up to him, you know, to make those chances. He had a lot missed chances. He's, he's not able to be on his feet a lot. Um, yeah. I, I think ultimately once his, his uh, departure comes, and I, and I do think he leaves in the summer. I think anyone that's kind of following the rumors of this whole big exodus because Newcastle are going to go in deep with the with the new influx of money that they have. I think I'm the only is going to be one of the ones that are going to be shipped out. And yeah, um, let's see what he can do in a in a different league. I, I hope that he does stay in Europe, perhaps at a at a big at a top five team, top five league, uh, and and you know just being right there as a as a consistent starter. And hopefully he can regain some of that talent that he could still produce for the national team uh, still in his prime years. Yeah. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up in the summer, obviously not guaranteed he will go, but like you said, that it feels like it could happen. And yeah, there's undoubted quality there. He just needs to go and play a bit more regularly. And like you said, maybe play in that number 10 role and get back to doing what he does best and providing for him, for his teammates. Um, So we obviously talked about Almiron, um, a current player, but let's talk about, someone from the past and this is a guy I guess Premier League fans will have a soft spot for in Roque Santa Cruz he obviously played in the Bundesliga in La Liga too but we we got to see him for a fair bit with Blackburn where he was very good and then obviously he was at Man City as well didn't really get the chance to play as much yet but he's obviously this is a striker that has scored a lot of goals both in club football and for his national side too um Roberto is is Roque Santa Cruz the best ever Paraguayan player I mean, I think if you look at it in hindsight, he's definitely the one that's made it more successful, at least in a European standpoint. I mean, this was a guy that played, in, like you said, for Bayern Munich, played at Blackburn Rovers, played at Man City, played in La Liga. You know, he won the Champions League uh, for Bayern Munich there. So, yeah, I mean, I think the debate's always going to be between him and, and Jose Luis Chilaver, the, the, the famous goalkeeper that scored all those goals for Vela Sarfield and has been the captain of that team. Um, this was before Roque's generation. So there's always going to be that big debate, but, you know, I 
grew up watching Santa Cruz and, you know, I, I just missed the boat on Chile Verde just right when I started to watch football. He started retiring and that's when Roca came in. And yeah, I mean, for me, I think he's always been such a, a crucial player. He's, you know, all-time top goal scorer for Paraguay, 32 goals over a hundred games, made it to three World Cups. And he's always going to be remembered as one of the best Paraguayan players ever. Um, whether or not he's the big one, he's the best one, that's up to up to debate because I think the the really the the big what if of Roque's career has always been injuries. I mean, this was a player that you look at him, he's he's very tall, he's like six four or something like that, but he's also very skinny. And you know, with that big body of his, was it able to withstand the pressures of a Bundesliga or a Premier League or a La Liga? I think that's where you know, he was still able to get goals for those teams, but I think he could have been a bit better. I think he could have just had a bit more to him if those injuries didn't come about. I think if that were the case, again, this is all hypothetical, so I have no idea what could have happened, but if indeed that was the case, then I think that, yes, I think he would have been considered maybe the best ever. I still think just because um, he was regarded as the best goalkeeper in the world three times and he's, he's won so many titles and he's regarded as one of the best in his position of all time. I think Chile gets first place for me, at least from a historical standpoint, but Roque is right there at least, you know, top five for sure. Top three, that's up for debate, but definitely among the greatest uh, to play um, for, for Paraguay and then just representing Paraguay as a whole for the world. What's crazy is he's still going, I think at the age yeah, of 40, 40 years old, um, right. playing for Libertad who also on their books have another great, uh, striker uh, Oscar Cardozo, I think age 38 now. And uh, of course, um, once of Sunderland fame, uh, Christian Riveros at, at age 39. Um, that was a move, another one to the northeast of England. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe maybe the Christian Riveros move should have been a sign to Miguel Almiron not to not to join Newcastle in the first place. Or, or, go, to, or go to Tyneside period, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just leave that part of England out of it, maybe. Um, but again, you mentioned uh, Jose Luis Chilavert as, you know, up there with Santa Cruz as possibly between the two of them, you know, some of the most iconic um, Paraguayan footballers in, in the history of the sport. He has that reputation because of the free kicks in terms of maybe a more global audience who, who wouldn't maybe have been able to respect his, his skills as a, you know, just a someone stopping the ball from, from making it into the back of the net. He also, you know, had the bulldog on the kit sometimes to kind of mimic his, his nickname El Bulldog. Just how good, again, I know you mentioned him being slightly before your time. I think Joe and I probably caught the tail end of his career at the 2002 um, um, World Cup. Um, what's, yeah, what's, what's his reputation in, in Paraguay? Because I think from the outside, he's almost got that kind of um, Higuita kind of like legacy moment when Hergita did you know the iconic scorpion kick save against England and Shilavert's got like the bulldog on his kit and he's got the free kicks but there's more there's got to be a lot more to his game than than that well I think more than that he, he's just a, a, a personality more than anything this was a guy that never um, came out without a fight he always uh, spoke about how he felt I mean even to this day he's still speaking about corruption from from FIFA from Comet Ball and, and from from all of that, I mean, he even got into a, a bit of beef with uh, an artist that I was actually supposed to perform in Paraguay in a, in a festival, um, and it, it got canceled. And this um, prompted a lot of reaction on Twitter because of her silence. Uh, Doja Cat, the, the, the famous artist, so literally saying, 
who are you Doja Cat you've never won anything and basically just shutting her up so yeah this one is always dogs don't like cats I guess not yeah that that's it that that's what um that's what Tom and Jerry taught us I guess (laughs) but um yeah he's he's um I would say that on the pitch he was fantastic I mean he's you know one of the greatest of all time in terms of his positions you know second all-time goal scorer in history uh only behind Rogerio Senni the the Brazilian goalkeeper only goalkeeper to score a hat trick he's played in the world cup I think he's had like eight international goals or something so obviously top goal scorer in that position but he's also someone that um could be a bit of a controversial figure he has his obviously his um his understanding of of um I'm just speaking very conservatively. I mean, I don't want to compare him to anyone politically, but you could almost say that he's kind of a, a mixture of a of a Donald Trump with a Jair Bolsonaro, if you want to go with that. Yeah, that's kind of like that. It's it's almost very much similar. Not, I don't think he's wow. that extreme. Yeah, I don't think he's that extreme as those two, but it's definitely a, a love child of of those sure. two. But uh, yeah, he's. I think he's just someone that has always been worthy of his of his roots which is respectable he, he was a player that grew up poor you know he um he always um well I've, I've had the chance of meeting him but my dad you know he's of a similar age group he's in his 50s as well and he's always been had the chance of meeting Chilever and speaking to him and how both of them had similar stories they grew up poor they, they came from farms they literally had to sacrifice their life to make their families life's better so obviously Chilever was a successful player whether my dad wasn't but in any case um the fact that I think he was just someone that really was really rooted into his into his position and that he was he felt proud to be Paraguay he really wanted to say that hey you know we're not just a small country in, in the heart of South America that is going to be played around by like Argentina or Brazil or anyone um you know we have much more to offer and we're going to literally come out uh in a fight if we need to and that's why I think he's had that mentality of making these I think that's where it all started really you know when Paraguay made it to those four world cups I think the genesis of all that was from Chilever's influence and how that was passed along to the younger players that would then pass it on to the other player and then it just from then on it, it hasn't come back since yes the sport has changed a lot since the 90s and you know, maybe Chilever are doing this nowadays in 2022 might cause some issues on like Twitter. I mean, they, people wanted to go really, really bad. Maybe they go out and say that they'll probably go out and cancel him. Uh, maybe not to the extent of, of, of Will Smith punching Chris Rock, but slapping Chris Rock, but maybe to that extent, uh, maybe you compare him to like maybe a Slaton or something, just someone that is a, an outspoken character and will say whatever is on his mind and he doesn't really care what happens. So Ultimately, I think his legacy, at least for a newer generation, is very much of, of doubt because of his outspoken claims and how perhaps he's not really a fan of modern football. But at least for the older generation, I think they still see him as, as someone that really flew the flag for, for the entire world and, and really demonstrated that, hey, you know, this, this isn't a small country. We're not going to be played around by anyone and we're going to demonstrate who we really are and Tough shit if you're not into it. So it, it's that I think that's the legacy of Jose Luis Chilever for many Paraguayans. I think in a time of you know a lot of TikTok and kind of drip videos and things like that, you know the game misses um, misses some. You know obviously there's certain things that we're not all going to agree with, certain controversial things. But 
those types of characters, yeah, the, the game sometimes misses a little bit in these days. Um, moving a bit more away, though, from Paraguayan football and actually back to what it is that you are up to at NBC with the Premier League, we are going to talk about the league that Joe and I both grew up watching. And it's been another disrupted season due to COVID, but the last 10 games or so for the rest of the teams are shaping up pretty nicely for an exciting finish to the campaign. Uh, title race is very much on still between Man City and Liverpool. Fourth place is up for grabs with mine and Joe's clubs well in the mix for that final Champions League place. And it's still pretty unclear as to which of the three clubs out of six or so down at the bottom are going to be getting relegated, except for probably Norwich. Anyway, so I think we should all give some quick predictions and then we can debate our choices a little bit after that. We'll make this kind of quick before we wrap up. I'll go first, give you guys a bit more time to think. So I think the top four in order, I'm going with Liverpool first, Man City second, Chelsea third, and then I have to put my team Arsenal in at fourth. And then bottom three in no particular order, I have Norwich, Watford, and I'm going to put Everton in there as well. Joe, how do our picks compare? Quite similar, quite similar, I guess, for... The top four, I'd probably have Man City actually winning the league. I think it will be close. I just think their squad will just push them over the line. Then Liverpool and Chelsea. I guess the big one is who do I put at four? It's probably between Tottenham and Arsenal. I probably say that and Man U will go on to get it, but I, I do think it's between Tottenham and Arsenal. Um, my heart says, obviously, to say Tottenham. At the moment, I, it pains me to say this. Maybe Arsenal are going to do it. I'll say Arsenal begrudgingly, but I think it will be close. And we still have Spurs still have to play Arsenal. So who knows? Things can change very quickly. And we're just so inconsistent at the moment. I don't know if I can really back us to grab top four, but I think we'll be there and thereabouts. In terms of bottom three, I actually agree with you, Kai. I mean, Norwich will go down. I think they're they're not very good, unfortunately. And Dean Smith's trying his best, but it's not really working. Watford, maybe they'll have a late charge and staying up with Roy Hodgson there but yeah I just I don't know I think it might be too little too late at this point because I think Burnley of the teams down there might be the one with Sean Dyche they they, they just seem to have a habit of getting wins when they they need to do it so I back them to do that again which leaves Everton to get relegated um obviously Leeds and Brentford are in the in the equation, but I think I think Everton will go down, and I'd find it quite funny because I don't really like Lampard. But I genuinely, <laughs> I genuinely just think that Everton are Everton are in a really rough spot, even though they did get that quite cool win against Newcastle recently when Awobi scored. But um, yeah, Norwich, Watford, and Everton for my bottom three. All right, Roberto. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really tight, and I think that's what's made working here, at, at least in my first full season. Uh, in the Premier League, uh, an exciting one. You know, the fact that I'm privileged in seeing such a, a tight race where, you know, before then, I think City had that 14-point lead and I thought to myself, oh my God, is this league going to be going to be done and dusted? And now we're one point away uh, between these two sides and they still have to play each other too in a couple of weeks. So I think I have to agree with, with Joe on this case. I think Man City will have just enough to qualify, uh, sorry, not qualify, to win the, the Premier League again for another straight season. I uh, I think Liverpool are a very talented side and you know, we have to see how both these two teams do in the Champions League as well because they could potentially face each other um, in, that, in that thing as well. So, And also in the, um, the FA Cup. So, yeah, I mean, 
talk about a lot of exciting matches hopefully coming up in, in English football in the next few weeks. I think the top four stays the same as of right now. I think Chelsea gets that third place spot. I think Arsenal for, you know, I think yeah, you'll be happy to hear that. That uh, I just, I, I'm really impressed by this Arsenal side. I think they, they have such a, a good team under Arteta. A lot of young players, I think ultimately not going to a European competition. Okay, yes, it's always the obligation for Arsenal to participate in any European competition. Champions League is obviously the one that they've been accustomed to, but I think this one where they missed out was a blessing in disguise because it allowed them to really focus on that youth. And you see the emergence of players like uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, you know, those type of players coming up and, and shaping up this team. And I think, yeah, I think looking at the other teams, I think Tottenham go into the Europa League and then United, despite them maybe showing a late showing at the in the end of the season, I, I think they, I think ultimately those two will qualify for, for Europe. But I think it stays the same. I, I, for some reason, I think this team, this, the top six stays the same and the same will go for the relegation zone. I think Norwich, yeah, I think will be the first team relegated. It's a matter of, when at this point uh, for them uh, I think Watford also go down and yeah I mean Burnley and Everton have a couple games in hand at 27 games I think right now and they still have to play three more so I as much as you know Everton are such a big mess right now I, I think for some reason they have something in them that allows them to to really save the side from outside of, of relegation and yeah, I, I, I think that, and hopefully this is the case, it'll be a chaotic week if that's, that's going to happen at work. I, I think all of these are going to get decided at the end of the season, like literally in the last one or two games of the, of the season. Um, big, <laughs> big relegation race, big top four race, and, and a big uh, championship race. So, yeah, I think ultimately the league table as it stands right now will stay the same at the end of the season. So that's my... Good predictions. I'm not good at it as well. I, mean, I, I always like to, to do some betting as well, and they tend to not always go the way that I want to. So ultimately, I think one of you guys, your predictions are probably going to be um, on point in comparison to mine. But between the three of us, we've probably got, probably got something in there um, that's going to look good at the end of the season. My theory, given I was the only one that went for, uh, for Liverpool, was that if it doesn't just come down to that one game between Liverpool and City which could go either way and I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool are able to win for instance I wouldn't be surprised either way to be honest with you I just think that if it doesn't come down to that one game if there's a slip up elsewhere and it's City who are the ones that slip up I I can see that snowballing and I can see that becoming a big mental hurdle for them um otherwise Arsenal, I'm glad to hear <laughs> that both of you guys are feeling the confidence that I'm kind of feeling. I'm not too confident. I just think at the moment, you know, if you're looking at the form table, I don't, obviously Spurs have actually been okay, even though we've had this weird kind of win-loss, win-loss run. But I feel like that win against Villa, I know Villa weren't so good the other day. That felt like quite a, a big win, to be honest. That I don't know. That felt like a game over the last few seasons that Arsenal would go on to lose in the relatively important scenario. But annoyingly... You got the three points, um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm, 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 I don't know. I don't want to get. I don't want to be excited about Arsenal, but you seem to be doing all right. At the moment. I mean, Spurs have what you know, like kind of the 
if the Kane Son thing works, then you guys are going to win. Whereas Arsenal have, you know, Martinelli's on form, Odegaard's on form, Saka's on form, Lacazette might not be hitting the back of the net every week, but he provides really good pressing from the front and a good link up play for these yeah. exceptional young players to run beyond him and kind of damage other teams. Um, and then as far as Everton, you know, their fixture list is the worst in the entire league. Um, they still have to play so many good teams uh, between now and the end of the season. But you, you just you just never know. Uh, it's certainly, you know, since we've seen kind of Newcastle um, relegated a couple times, this, this would probably be the most outstanding um, side in the league to be relegated from the Premier League. And I think potentially, besides Arsenal, they might actually be the only team that have never been relegated from England's top flight right. oh, yeah, yeah there's, there's some weird about fact that. about that um so if anything that would you know a rec- another record for Arsenal <laughs> if, if Everton could now um but maybe R- Roberto will give you f- final say or if you have any disagreements on that on anything that we've said no no I think um ultimately I think we're in for really an exciting end of the season you know I think where you see a lot of leagues kind of deciding their champions I mean I think the, the only ones that have been really still open for, for the debate has been Syria. I mean, La Liga might be uh, done and dusted soon. Same for the Bundesliga. Liga is obviously done as well. But I think outside of the, the Syria, I think uh, the Premier League is definitely one to look out for. So hopefully an exciting end. And yeah, and I think whoever wins the, the Premier League will be a deserved champion because these two have been neck and neck for the entire season. That I think whoever wins in the end, but I think it would be definitely more sweeter for Liverpool because of the gap that they had to build, had to go through uh, early on in the season. I think that would be even very more impressive if they're able to, to win the Premier League. Fantastic. Well, um, that does unfortunately bring us to the end of um, this podcast today. We've obviously had a great time chatting, but firstly, um, thanks a lot to my co-host Kaitel, as always. And then a special thank you from the both of us, to Roberto for joining us and being such a fantastic guest. We really hope you've you've had a fun time chatting about football with us. And um, just before you leave, Roberto, how can our listeners best follow you and everything that you're up to at the moment? No, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun. And yeah, uh, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Roberto Rojas97. I'm obviously tweeting about not just all things in football, but you know other things that I like in sports, lifestyle, culture, anything really. <laughs> Hopefully that uh, you can also give a follow to my two podcasts, Love and the Football, the one that I do every week with my co-host, Yo Yusello, talking about the world of football, demonstrating, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the fun in football, that football is fun, and that, that's why we are continuing to doing that. And yeah, also uh, on I Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguay football in English. We try to put out an episode every week as well, talking about what's going on with the Paraguayan teams in, be it domestic league, international competitions, national team, women's game. We're all there to, to talk about it. So follow, subscribe, check us out on YouTube, Spotify. And yeah, thanks again, guys. I really enjoyed it. And hopefully that you guys also have a, a very much successful podcast uh, in the future. Cheers, Roberto. The yeah, pleasure was absolutely all ours. Best of luck with everything. Best of luck with your podcast. Best of luck to Paraguay as a footballing nation. And of course, good luck um, in, in, in your work uh, at NBC as well. For our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe wherever it is that you like to stream your favorite podcasts. Just search for United Mates Football Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at United Mates FP. So give us a follow on those two. And if you feel like 
putting some faces to these voices, then you can find us on YouTube. Look for United Makes Football Podcast and don't forget to subscribe while you're at it. For all of that content and more in one place, the website is unitedmatesfp.com. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye.